You're listening to The Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. Today in the program, we get a preview of Thursday's The Power of Hair Expo. The event is a celebration of black hair and hairstyles as we continue to honor Black History Month. And Jim Scott celebrates baseball legend Hank Aaron in Another Small Wonder. Also, we hear about a Siouxland program that builds beds for kids in need. It is called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. But first, a look at the news, especially the legislative news, a bill that would ban ballot drop boxes and move up the deadline for returning an absentee ballot is now advancing in the Iowa legislature. Republican lawmakers are also proposing letting absentee ballots be mailed out a bit earlier than current law and requiring voters to include their driver's license or voter ID numbers when returning their absentee ballot. Groups advocating for people with disabilities and older Iowans oppose the bill because of concerns about making it harder for them to vote. Republican Representative Bobby Kaufman of Wilton says... The bill would improve election integrity in Iowa, even though he says he doesn't believe there is widespread voter fraud. Senate Democrats are proposing four bills aimed at addressing issues related to safety and accountability in Iowa's nursing homes. They'd add more nursing home inspectors, raise the wages of direct care workers, create a board for nursing home oversight, and raise the personal needs allowance for long-term care residents on Medicaid. They're also proposing alternatives to nursing homes for older Iowans. And two bills that would enforce age restrictions online were advanced by the Iowa House Judiciary committee on Tuesday. That makes them both viable past this week's legislative deadline. One proposal would require social media companies to have permission from parents before allowing minors to create accounts. Parents would also receive access to see what their children are posting. Another bill was amended to require users to prove they're over 18 years old before they can go on porn sites. Similar measures have passed in several other states in recent years, including Louisiana and Utah, where they've drawn First Amendment legal challenges. Both bills can now come up for debate in the Iowa House. Limits on First Amendment rights in Nebraska public schools were discussed during a legislative hearing on a bill that would permit more religious expression by on-duty staff members. Members of the legislature's Education Committee heard arguments for and against the bill at a Monday hearing. The bill would prohibit school districts from punishing or prohibiting religious expression by employees while on the job. And a bill advancing out of an Iowa House subcommittee is aimed at supporting more full-day preschool programs across the state. Currently, a school district receives half the regular state cost per pupil for each student in school. This bill would provide funding for low-income students in those programs. The Senate Education Committee voted Tuesday morning to kill a bill that would have made someone guilty of disseminating material harmful to minors a Class 1 misdemeanor if they were performing in drag. The bill would have defined the performance as offensive to contemporary community standards because of the description of representation of sexual matters.
You're listening to The Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. This week, Western Iowa Tech Community College is holding an event that celebrates the styles and culture of black hair. The Power of Hair Expo is being held Thursday at 11 a.m. at Western Iowa Tech. The program encourages attendees to explore their hairstyles, model those styles, and reflect on how changing one's style can be liberating and empowering. The creator of the event is Lashana Moyle, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Coordinator at Western Iowa Tech. I spoke with Lashana about the event, and she says some of the impetus for the program came from her own experiences and reactions to her hairstyles at work. She also talks about the Crown Act, a law that prohibits race-based hair discrimination, which is the denial of employment and educational opportunities because of hair texture or protective hairstyles, including braids, locks, twists, or bantu knots. Iowa has not passed the Crown Act. My thought on why we're now starting to have this discussion is, so the Crown Act is um, what we presented on at Power of Hair last year. That was our introduction to the Crown Act, which um, there are um, policies in several states, but not here in Iowa. And the reason that I kind of grabbed onto that was my own experiences with my hair and the journey that I've had. And when I, once I started to realize and have this discussion that there was research and evidence out there, I really wanted to pull that in to be more supportive of this. And so I think that this um, topic is growing, if you will, because we are starting to see the impact at a larger level. It's not just an individual. So at that micro level, it's more about groups and then the larger picture within society and how this impacts education and employment um, and and not simply, if it, if it is simple, right, an identity, but the larger um, scope of hair and what power it carries and how we really want to now celebrate, bring um, the history of hair forward and and then just celebrate who we are regardless of what our hair looks like, whether it's natural, flat ironed, weave, wigs, whatever that looks like. Um, we, we just see within research and have experienced um, possible push out due to the way that our hair looks. And um, we're at a time in society where we really want to become our authentic selves and be comfortable in that. And so within education, especially, um, we have a duty, right, to talk about these things and bring that forward. And so for me, that really was the catalyst in how Power of Hair was born. Now, you talked about your experiences. Um, Did you find people really pushing back on you because of your hairstyle? Yes, and even within my own family. And so I'm biracial. Um, On my father's side, that's my African-American side of the family, and my grandmother, whom grew up in the South um, and and very traditional in that sense in terms of her experiences and what she brought forward, um, she would refer to me as having good hair and would tell me, don't cut your hair, don't cut your hair, right? Because my hair used to be very, very long. It's thick, it's curly, kinky. And for so many years... I just listened to that. But when I would flat iron my hair, which I did for many, many years, when I would present in different spaces, people would tell me, oh, I didn't even recognize you, or you look so beautiful, as opposed to when my hair was kinky and and down. It was almost like there was a night and day in terms of the reaction I received from other people. One was perceived as more professional or more beautiful than than the curly and, and the kinky. And I really became tired of it, and and this is a journey in my own life, and everybody's is different, but um, now that I'm older, I really don't want to be so concerned with what others think of me, 
and I find that I am in a role in which um, I impact others and in being myself and accepting and embracing who I am is so important. So then I can then hopefully um, reflect that onto the others that I work with and allow them to find beauty in whomever it is that they are, no matter what their hair or anything else looks like. I think that compared to like back in the 90s when I was beginning to work a lot and I would talk to people and look around at workplaces, people were very cookie cutter, especially women, I mean, and what we wore, we had the little suits and little ties at the neck and everyone had the same hairdo and you hardly ever, well, you honestly, in a lot of offices, you hardly ever saw a black person. Even if you did, it was a secretary. And I think, do you think that has helped change this to kind of more black Americans in the corporate workforce? I certainly hope so. And if not, I hope that it does continue to support some of these challenges that we've seen. Um, you know, when we had Horses, Hoops, and Heritage, which was specific to Hispanic Heritage Month, we talked about um, AOC and her hoops and how that was changing things for people and that representation. And the discussion is happening. And so I hope that because we are having these discussions that yes, it is starting to, we're starting to see that movement and that change. Um, you know, this is the most liberating thing I've ever done and it's hair, it's an accessory, which is crazy to say, right? I cut my hair and it's the most powerful thing I've ever done, but it gave me a sense of who I am and empowerment. And again, so if I can create that for anyone or um, help an organization start this conversation, then for me, that's winning. I saw that there's going to be a, a runway element to this show. Can you talk about that and how that will work? Absolutely. Last year when we had our first um, Power of Hair, we didn't actually have a runway. Um, we just created a stop here, stop here. And the idea with this year's actual runway is, again, that celebratory facet and, and giving those that choose to walk the runway that feeling of importance and beauty, regardless, again, of what they're wearing, how their hair looks, because we know, again, that runways are associated with, with beauty and with excitement and importance even. And so the idea behind the runway is just to elevate that another level and, and say, yes, there is beauty in this space and hair can be modeled, hair can be beautiful and is. And so we're going we're gonna to have throw out all the sparkle and, and join in and some fun and celebration. And people will talk about their hair choices and maybe how they, I look, because I know as a woman, it sounds stereotypical, but I, I love to talk to other women about their hair and their hair products and what they use. That's just kind of a, how women relate sometimes. Yes, we do. And, and that's the thing. Organic conversations have come up from this event about those types of things. Tell me more about how you've done this. Tell me more about who you use as a hairstylist. Tell me where you buy your products and what you use. Um, and so, again, as women, we feel more comfortable doing that sometimes. Again, this is elevating the discussion. But now, um, Power of Hair 2 will have an emphasis um, on men as well. We're going to talk more about how men are impacted by this as well. And the hope there as well is that men will start having these discussions because, again, we know within society um, there's this idea of what beauty is and or what's acceptable or not. And so men want to feel like they belong and that like they are presenting physically and look great as well. And so we need to really include them in the discussion. Part of our presentation this year will include um, some young men who have been um, turned away from different events or asked um, or told that they're not fitting into a um, dress code and it was due to their hair. And so we're going to talk about that this year. So hopefully we are engaging and again, elevating that discussion for black men as well. Is that legal to turn someone away because of their hair? 
in the state of Iowa? <laughs> we do not have the Crown Act here in the state of Iowa. Um, there are states that where they recognize that as discrimination. Um, but here in Iowa, we don't have anything in code um, that says that you can or cannot tell an individual to leave or change their hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, on the whole, WIT has become a much more diverse place than from when I started to work here eight years ago. You can see it walking the halls. You see people from, in fact, all over the world here now. You see different parts of the country, uh, different races, different religions. And I have to think that it's been a really good thing for the school and changed how things work here. Absolutely. Western Iowa Tech has the most universal um, labels and categories of difference represented on campus, and it is fantastic. I was a student here, and that's changed even since I was a student here, which wasn't that long ago, but it's been <laughs> several years. But it, it, it is great for the school, just like talking about power of hair. Um, there are so many other things, right? Hair is one category, but we see that um, represented in our students. And again, to bring that in, have that discussion, it's great for the institution, which is then great for our students. And the hope there, again, is that um, students, people from the community will see this and say, hey, I really think we should elevate the discussion on this topic. Can we do something like this? And so last year's Power of Hair um, brought up the discussion for, power, uh, excuse me, Horses, Hoops, and Heritage for Hispanic Heritage Month. And so I say that was the sister to Power of Hair. And so again, these different programs that we can create based on this is fantastic. It's a great opportunity. Um, I'm so very grateful here at Western Iowa Tech to have the autonomy to do these things, and, and there's been so much support, and I, I know that the students are seeing that as well, and it's just a good feeling, and Western Iowa Tech is really doing some wonderful things. I would love to say, come and try it. Um, if you're unsure, just come and see what it's about, right? There's that educational piece, because that's what we do. However, there is such a good vibe and a good feeling that comes from seeing others express who they are authentically. Even um, we'll have people from a very young age, right? We, last year, our youngest model was eight years old, and then we had people that were up in their 60s. And to just see people relate from all sorts of different backgrounds and ages and social classes and, and education levels over hair is amazing. And it you just leave with such a good feeling. And I, I hope to provide that for anybody and everybody who's able to come. It doesn't have to be about black hair. It's just about us as who we are as individuals and seeing us connect on that level that is so special. And that's what I really hope to bring with all of the events that I, that I coordinate. That was LaShawna Moyle, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Coordinator at Western Iowa Tech Community College. She has created a program, and this is the second year in a row for the program, the Power of Black Hair Expo. It's being held Thursday at 11 a.m. at WIT. You can find out more by going to witcc.org. Don't touch my hair. It's the feelings I wear Don't touch my soul When it's the rhythm I know Don't touch my crown They see the vision I found Don't touch not long ago, the color of one's skin was more important than batting average when it came to entry into the major leagues. Jim Scott remembers one of the pioneering ballplayers who integrated the league. Hammer and Hank. 
He was just 23 years old when, in 1957, he won the MVP award. I was in third grade. Hard as it might be to believe, I don't think I thought of him as black. He'd come up from the Negro League, in fact, the very last player from there to arrive in the bigs at a time when African Americans were just beginning to get a place on major league dugouts. Seems to me that Billy Bruton played next to him in center field, so he wasn't the only one on the roster, but he was early. Those old picks of that 1957 team, world champ Milwaukee Braves, have four or five others. There were more. No matter. All I know is that when I was a kid, on many a night I fell asleep at the Braves game still playing on that little radio above my bed. It's soft yellow light over the dial. I loved going to bed with the Braves on. Loved it so much that there were nights when I didn't even know. Coming into the ninth, the Braves may have trailed, but if the heart of the lineup was on its way to the plate, there was always a chance. Hank Aaron was there batting in the third position, followed by Matthews, a third baseman, at cleanup. Those two guys could hit, and did. That's what I remember thinking about hammering Henry Aaron. The guy could hit. Really, he was a little guy. Muscly, sure, but Aaron had great wrists, my father used to say. Great wrists that snapped that bat with so much torque, stadium walls came tumbling down. The biggest story of his professional life was how he finally outdid the babe and ended his career with 755 round trippers. That was two decades later, in 1976, the year of the American Bicentennial, the year our daughter came into the world. By that time, I was well aware of his being African-American, as was the nation, because hate mail and death threats arrived in his mail daily as he climbed ever closer to Babe Ruth's otherwise untouchable record. All that hate on the nation's 200th birthday made the country look menacing. You are not going to break this record established by the great Babe Ruth if I can help it, some guy wrote him in a letter. Whites are far more superior than, well, you put the word in. My gun is watching your every black move. Generations of kids today can't imagine someone capable of such wicked hate. But it was in the air in 1976. The man who wrote those lines wasn't alone. An African-American was threatening a great man's home run record, a great hitter who was white. The Postal Service gave him an award that year for getting mail, nearly a million letters long before email. Thousands and thousands in that massive bagful were greatly supportive and loving. But America's finest racists couldn't go down without threatening a noose from the old days but they couldn't stop him. Hammer and Hank still owns a shoebox full of Major League Records, most career RBIs at just about 2,300, total bases at 7,000 about, and extra base hits at 1,477. And there's more, there's lots more. But I thought of him not long ago, couldn't help it really, when I saw his name on a stone beneath my feet. His footprints, sit on the International Civil Rights Walk of Fame at the Martin Luther King National Monument in Atlanta, and he's in good company. Thurgood Marshall, Ralph Abernathy, Edward Brooke, Rosa Parks, Jimmy Carter, and more than a dozen others. Something tells me Hammer and Hank is as proud of being there as he is in Cooperstown. Breaking that record wasn't easy, not at his age. 
He played in 3,300 ball games, third place all time. But it wasn't easy either to live as he did in the eye of a racial storm that will likely never fully pass off the coast and out to sea. Now that day in Atlanta, he hit number 715, one more than the babe. That day, when some people were scared of what could happen, the image I like best is that when Henry Aaron came around third, there at the plate stood his parents. Isn't that just the greatest? It was nice seeing him again at the Martin Luther King Museum. I'm thankful for that sidewalk, for those footprints, and the tracks he left in my life. Next time you're in Atlanta, walk in those prints. Try. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's the drive into left center field. That ball is going to be. He threw his arms around his father. Support for Small Wonders on Siouxland Public Media comes from the Daniels Osborne Law Firm in the Ho-Chunk Center in downtown Sioux City, serving the needs of clients in real estate transactions, business formation and guidance, and personal estate planning. More information is available on Facebook or at danielsosborne.com. Support for Siouxland Public Media comes from Unity Point Health St. Luke's Cardiology Services, your partners in heart health. Their team of dedicated experts is there for you, offering advanced cardiology services right here in Siouxland. To explore their services online, go to unitypoint.org. listening to The Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. About a year ago, I took part in a build for Sleep in Heavenly Peace in Sioux City, a national program with a Siouxland chapter. SHP brings together volunteers to join on Saturday mornings to build basic beds for kids who otherwise might end up sleeping on the couch or on the floor. According to numbers collected by SHP, roughly 2 to 3% of American children are without beds. That number is astounding when you consider that America is one of the richest countries in the world. I talk with the program's organizer about how the program works and why it's so important here in Siouxland. More than 30 volunteers of all ages met for a special build just off of West 7th Street early Saturday morning. They sanded, they used buzz saws, pounded nails, and used power tools to put almost 30 beds together. I talked with Elise Morris, co-president of the Sioux City chapter of Sleep in Heavenly Peace, who was managing the build. What is the need for these beds in the community? I know I've talked to some people who said um, you'd be surprised to find out how much these are needed. Yes, yes, we have been blown away by the need here in Siouxland, and it's every corner, um, every corner of, of Siouxland is, is affected by it, you know, um, so it would surprise you some of the places we've been um, to deliver beds, it's just, it, everybody, everybody has hard times, and um, we have heard situations like, um, oh, we got our tax return, and we were able to finally get beds for our kids, and then... Um, somebody went to a sleepover or something and 
accidentally came home with bed bugs and now we had to throw away everything and now we're back at ground zero and it's just like heartbreaking for these parents who've worked so hard to finally get their kids into a nice comfy bed and then anything you know rambunctious kids break the bed like whatever can happen and you're back at ground zero and so that's where we come in um some of the kids we've served have never had a bed we've walked into uh houses where um brothers are basically fighting over a foam pad on a wood floor um and when by the time we left they each had a bed and so it's just it's truly heartbreaking to see some of these situations um we to date i believe we are at uh, just about 650 kids that have gotten into beds, um, and that is since December of 2021. Um, and, or, yes, sorry, 2021. Um, so we're just over a year old as a chapter. Um, and we have 140 kids on our wait list right now. Um, and the need just, it, it just keeps coming. Um, we might slow down and we'll kind of get, uh, get a little bit ahead on things. I think the lowest number we've ever seen is like 99 kids on our wait list. Um, and then like uh, we were at the multicultural fair or a school will hear about us and we'll have a, a big influx of, of applications again, um, which is great because then families are hearing about it and families who are in need. Um, also, you know, neighbors talk to each other and there's a, a large apartment complex in Sioux City I think we've delivered out there 10 different times because neighbors just keep talking and that kind of stuff. And, um, so it's, it's cool to see how the word gets out, but the need is so great. And we right now only are able to serve a 15 mile radius from downtown Sioux city. We hope to eventually serve all of Siouxland, but we're just trying to, trying to get to a manageable, I guess, space in that 15 mile radius, um, before we can expand again. Um, so just the need is just so great. That was Elise Morris, co-president of the Sioux City chapter of Sleep in Heavenly Peace, a group that builds beds for children in need. For more information about Sleep in Heavenly Peace, you can go to shpbeds.org. Support for The Exchange comes from Gregory Giles, investment advisor representative with Legacy Financial LLC in Sioux City, serving the financial planning and investment needs of clients since 2004. Information about Legacy Financial and Greg Giles is available at LegacyFinancialLLC.com. Financial planning and advisory services offered through RDA Financial Network. You're listening to The Exchange. I'm Mary Hartnett. I've interviewed many authors on The Exchange. Now we're collecting those interviews in a podcast called True Stories. Today we hear a sample of a new interview with an award-winning author who has a personal experience with the problems of long-term incarceration, especially for minorities in America. A recent Pew Charitable Trust study shows the large growth of the United States criminal legal system in the late 20th century brought a widening racial gap in incarceration. Award-winning author Deborah G. Plant talks about incarceration and racial issues in her new book, Greed in Glory, In Pursuit of Freedom for All. Plant's brother is serving a life sentence without the chance of parole at Angola Prison in Louisiana, a prison built on an old slave plantation. And I say former, I put former in quotation marks, because uh, those who are sentenced and condemned and sent to Angola are treated like enslaved persons. They work that same land. They uh, uh, 
cultivate those same crops and, and what have you. And as my brother um, shared with me, you know, when he first went about for about a year or two, he was doing this kind of agricultural labor and uh, fixing fences and digging ditches and, and uh, trying not to get bitten by snakes and whatnot and, and no, with no pay. And, and you are forced to do this work at no pay. This is enslavement. That was Deborah G. Plant talking about her new book, Greed and Glory, In Pursuit of Freedom for All, about the incarceration system in America. You can hear more of Deborah Plant's interview on the True Stories podcast at kwit.org. Well, that's it for this edition of The Exchange. Thanks to Mark Munger and Steve Smith. I'm Mary Hartnett. Have a great week.